seems a web any size catch the seeds just like flies look out here comes the spider-man Hello and welcome back to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, the show that is dedicated to bringing you every major issue, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of the Amazing Spider-Man. My name is John Wilson, and we're going to be jumping into the show in just a minute, but I wanted to first let you know that there is a new addition to the Libsyn page that hosts this podcast. If you visit AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com, you will find an X-Men blog that I am doing that is going to follow along with this show as far as chronology goes with the X-Men comics. I can't promise it's going to be as great as the show is. I'm not necessarily funny, but I'm going to try to put some good thought and uh, effort into it, and you can let me know what you think by writing into the same email address, AmazingSpiderManClassics at gmail.com, or just leave notes on the blog postings on the Libsyn page. I also want to encourage you to visit the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which is co-hosted by our guest co-host this month, Jeffrey Taylor. It is a show dedicated to the life of Superman between his reboot in 1986 and the Infinite Crisis wrap-up of this incarnation in 2006. That is co-hosted by Jeffrey Taylor, and that is a weekly show found at supermanhomepage.com and fortressofbailitude.com. So now we rejoin the conversation with Joshua Bertoni, Donovan Grant, and Jeffrey Taylor as we jump into Amazing Spider-Man number 10 which was released December 9th, 1963, with a cover date of March 1964. I actually had a rather plain Jane cover. I remember looking this up after noticing that the cover was so blah, and I checked the credits, and Jack Kirby... I not think it was... No, Jack Kirby did the breakdowns here with the pencils on Spider-Man's figure, which might explain the wonky webbing on his mask. But yeah, I'm not a fan of this cover at all. Spider-Man's pose, I guess, is okay, but nothing else about it is really very interesting. Looks like the big man and Spider-Man are like, grab my hand! I can't I can't reach it's the Adam and God pose uh, from, was that Da Vinci or Michelangelo except, yeah except Michelangelo never drew a gay cowboy <laughs> that you know of <laughs> yeah Look here, see? Never has anyone fought such merciless foes as the Enforcers. In this issue, learn why J. Jonah Jameson really hates Spider-Man. Oh, yes. Opening Splash has another pose of the Enforcers against Spider-Man, but this time Spidey is on his knees. I'm not going to wonder anything else about that scene. Who is the big man? At this point in the series, the credits begin to take on some personality from time to time. And here we have smiling Stan Lee, swinging Steve Ditko, and sparkling Sam Rosen. The story is called The Enforcers, and it opens with the big man plotting several daring heists, seeking to rule New York's underworld. Dude, you have to read the disclaimer. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Okay, if you've read this far, now this is the very first panel after the splash page. No, 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 the splash page disclaimer. Oh, the splash page disclaimer? Caution! Caution. Think twice before starting this movie-length tale. Uh, what? We feel it only fair to warn you, once you have read it, once you have savored the thrills and surprises which only Spider-Man can provide, you may find it difficult to ever again be satisfied by lesser magazines. And they believe their own hype, because the next page they say, okay, if you've read this far, we figure you're hooked. There's no turning back now, so hold on to your hats. 
Here goes one of the most exciting super adventures you've ever read. Stan. Definitely Stanley, more Stanley, like, drank lots of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely more exciting than Moby Dick. But, um, so we open with the big man plotting several daring heists, seeking to rule New York's underworld. The local criminals who doubt him are persuaded, to put it loosely, by his three chief henchmen, the Enforcers. Fancy Dan. Montana and the Ox. <laughs> Peter learns that Aunt May requires a blood transfusion because the operation last time got fracked up. It doesn't say that, but that's my interpretation. I'm gonna just going to go with the theory that the operation she had last time was messed up, and that's the reason that she's going to have health problems for the rest of her life. <laughs> I love that retcon. <laughs> <laughs> Although fearful of the result, because his spider power is in his blood, the life is in the blood, thus saith the Lord. He agrees to provide his blood for the transfusion. And while Aunt May is mending, he sets out as Spider-Man to oppose this new crime wave. While Aunt May's mending, he ships her off to Florida. Oh yeah, that's right, with the Abbots. I didn't Get out of here. <laughs> the other neighbors besides the Watsons. and the, On the other side of the house, yeah. Yeah, these neighbors never show up again. Meanwhile, Jameson begins suggesting in the bugle that Spider-Man is the big man. Despite, <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> of course it is, because if there's a villain, it's really Spider-Man in another mask. That's just the way he works. I know Luckily, this guy. Luckily, Foswell read the last, like, issue, and he says, uh, didn't you do this last issue? Yeah. <laughs> Frederick Foswell, of all people, is like, um, maybe you shouldn't do this. So, <laughs> Peter comes across Betty being threatened by the enforcers, who have come to collect on money she took from a loan shark, continuing the saga of Betty Brandt. So, he finds a thug who led the enforcers to Betty, and when he won't, when the thug won't talk, Spider-Man blindfolds him. I can't talk. Blindfolds it blindfolds him with web. And in what is, for me, the best part of the book, he takes the thug to this giant spider's web he's rigged up, and there's this giant fake spider propped up behind him made out of wood and webs. He rips off the guy's blindfold and scares him into talking. He's never done this again since that I know of. I just think it's hilarious. So Spider-Man finds the Enforcer's hideout, but they fight him to cover the big man's escape. When Spider-Man notices Jameson nearby, he wonders if Jameson is the big man. Because there's irony. If this was a cartoon, they'd be bumping into each other, and they'd both be saying, like, at the same time, like, over each other's voices, you, at the big man's hideout, you must be the big man, like, mimic, like pointing to each other at the same time. Right, right. And they're like, I'm not the big man, you're the big man. So Betty is so distraught over Peter getting tangled up with the Enforcers that she leaves town, which I think is awesome. She, like, promises that they're going to talk about it the next day, and the next day she's no longer there. No, he doesn't even call her to talk about the Enforcers. He's forgotten about that. He's calling her to say, why would Jonah be in that neighborhood? And she's like, oh, Peter's probably worried about me and the loan sharks. Nope, he doesn't care. <laughs> so to draw the big man out, Peter claims around school that he knows the big man's identity. There's even a good moment with Flash where Flash is like, dude, watch it. You're going to get in trouble. But Peter, of course, wants to get in trouble. And sure enough, the enforcers take Peter prisoner and place him in a cell. Peter breaks out as Spider-Man and defeats the enforcers. But the police arrest Foswell as the big man. J Jameson fumes over being bested by Spider-Man again, but secretly admits that he is jealous of Spider-Man's goodness and power, which personally I think is a load of crock. But with the crisis past, Peter wonders what Betty's personal problem could be, and thus the mystery deepens and the thick plottens. I wonder what's up with Betty. Could this have anything to do with the fact that those gangsters were shaking her down? <laughs> hmm. nah. What's going on? I mean, she just left. That's so strange. 
Like, he literally does not mention the fact that the enforcers were shaking her down for the rest of the issue. He forgets about it. And he's like, she left? That's funny. I don't know if you guys have talked about this yet, but the wed parachute. Did yeah. Did do that in uh, the... I think he did that in issue one. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I mean, he's he's done it before. I just still think it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's awesome. not. It's not one of those things that that I'm. I'm glad that they didn't keep it forever. Science. It actually leads into like a. There's a point in the story that leads into one of my favorite spider missions of all time when he gives her the blood because he is afraid that the radio the radioactive blood will affect her and it actually does later on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when is that? When does that come back to bite him in the butt? Issue thirty-one. 31. Oh, that's the whole thing with that. Okay. Oh yes. Yeah, so, yeah, that whole blood transfusion thing, good job there. <laughs> you notice how, like, for a while in these notes they say editor, editor, but, like, eventually they just shorten it to Ed yeah. instead of editor, like, see last issue, Ed. Well, then Stan starts giving himself creative nicknames, like Stern Stan and Swashbuckling Stan and, you know, suck you in the stomach if you look at me twice, Stan. They also, like, whenever they say, you know, was it The Wrath of Electro, that wasn't the title, and then the issue before it was, um... Or the initial later, Doctor Octopus versus Spider-Man. That wasn't the title of the issue. Like they change it every time. Or the, the, the case of the Sandman. Okay, now even here, the, the the credits do say smiling Stan Lee, swinging Steve Ditko, and sparkling Sam Rosen. Right. Is, is he a Twilight vampire or something? <laughs> Does everything sparkle with you? It sparkles with me. I also love the little intros that Stan does on the opening splash pages because I know Stan Lee's voice really well. And mm -hmm. he has one of those voices where you can hear the exclamation point at the end of his sentences. Yes. So I don't feel as though they're overused at all because when he speaks, I can hear it. And when I read this, I hear his voice. When, when I read any of the narration in, in these earlier issues that he, that he did. Yeah, right. it's, it's yeah. very easy to hear his, uh, his voice. And then, of course, he did become the narrator. What do you mean? In, oh, the, uh, in the 60s animated series, wasn't he the narrator? In, in Amazing Friends, I know he was. The Amazing first, Friends, yeah. The, the first season of the 60s, there's no narrator. I just recently finished the first season, there's no narrator there. But he, there may have been one later, and there may there was one in Amazing Friends. So Okay, so on page 13, you see that um guy who's spying on Peter and Flash at the school about how, you know, Peter knows who the big man is? That's the Vulture. Really? No. Oh, is that really? No, it's not really the Vulture. I mean, he's drawn oh. like the Vulture. Like, yeah, he does. Yeah, well, according to Marvel chronology, you know... Uh, <laughs> Edition from oh, 19... That, that's actually Adrian... They reckoned it that it was Adrian Toomes. Well, okay, speaking of random... That's his bastard love child. Bastard. Yeah. Sure hope not. I actually have, you know, names for all the enforcers. I don't know if y'all are familiar with what these are or not. Montana. Oh, I know Ultimate Version, they have them. They have the real names. My first appearance list, I'll just run through this real quick, is Frederick Foswell, and he'll be back in issue 23. The Enforcers, Fancy Dan, the Ox, and Montana. For those keeping track at home, we do eventually learn these guys' real names according to official handbook of the Marvel Universe, Deluxe Edition, number four of 1986. Fancy Dan is Daniel Brito. The Ox is Raymond Block. And Montana is Jackson W. Bryce. Yeah, those are different from multiple version, I think. I just remember those definitely being different from the spectacular version. If you look oh, on yeah. page 20, the very bottom panel, Jameson's face and the way it's shadowed, it looks like one of the panels of Big Man's face earlier in the issue. So it's like, like <laughs> it's like they're subtly setting him up to be the Big Man, even though you find out it's Foswell on the next page. They're teasing you that, it, that Jameson is the Big Man all the way through the issue up until the last minute. There are yeah. some great faces in this issue. There's some really nice... Uh, they're very Dicko-y faces, and one of my favorite parts of this whole thing is like when he gets hassled by the Peter and his, and his civilian identity gets hassled by the enforcers on page eight the top three panels the entire time he has that whole Spider-Man face 
I had a note about that because I've heard you guys talk about that and it's way overused here. I'm actually one of the ones who likes when that happens, but it's way overused here. There's no reason for it to be on all three panels here. No, 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 no. I I actually really love it because I think that in the whole time he's like upset. If Betty weren't there, he'd just like, you know, just take his clothes off and become Spider-Man. To me, I I thought that was really cool. But to each his own. Well, on on the page before, it's the other half of his face. It's like (laughs) he went to work and he forgot to take half of his mask off and everyone's just kind of being too polite to say something. Okay, I'm only seeing two half-and-half panels. I see. Okay, on on the bottom of page... On on the bottom of page seven, there's one. And then... On the top of page eight, there's three right in a row. Okay, I was actually two pages earlier than y'all. Okay. Gosh, Peter, you're like a volcano waiting to explode. I hope that that's not the signs of an abusive boyfriend later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, four and five also had some half-and-half faces. Betty, on that last page... uh, Let me me read that dialogue on the last page. Life is so meaningless, so empty without Peter. He's he's all I had, all I ever wanted, and yet I can't turn to him now. You've been dating for, like, how long? You've been dating? An issue. <laughs> yeah, like, seriously. I've got <laughs> to see this through alone. I can't risk the life of the boy I love. No one else can help me except someone like Spider-Man. But what chance would I ever have of receiving aid from him? Oh, irony, because Spider-Man is Peter. But yeah, Betty is such a teenager. Because like, you know, because when you deal with teenagers and whenever they're in a relationship that's like been like four hours long and the relationship's going bad, that's what it's. He was my whole world. Life is so empty. And it's like, dude, you've been dating for like a day. That's another one of those things with teenagers where when you're a teenager, everything seems way more important than it actually is. And the stuff that doesn't seem important usually is the stuff that's important. Untold Tales later retcon that Betty's mom was kind of like a vegetable who Betty was taking care of and like paying all these doctor bills for. That's one of the reasons why she did the money from the loan shark, which actually it's interesting because maybe that's one of the things that you her and Peter together because they were both kind of taking care of their sick uh, parental figures. But it makes these issues wonder, you know, how could Betty have just and obviously at the time these were written, nothing was known about Betty's mother. But how could Betty just take off to another state when her mom? Mom's like when she's living with her mom and she's paying this live-in nurse or whatever, and her mom's spend, a vegetable. Or spend a whole day with Aunt May instead of her own mother. Yeah. Well, they actually well, were, they were, were going uh, to work every day neighbor. and working overtime. I mean, if you guys get a chance, read issue 12 of Untold Tales of Spider-Man because it goes into Betty's background, and it's funny because in all the years until that was published, we never did get Betty's background. It's just yeah. one of those things that for a character so old, I couldn't believe that they never explained it. Like when I remember reading the solicitation at the time, at last, the secret history. Of Betty Brandt, and I was like, this character's been around since the Silver Age. There's no way that they've never told her history. Actually, yes. Yeah, it's funny because of all the good stories that we do get out of these, you know, first five or six years of Spider-Man, there are so many holes in the mythology that are waiting to be filled. And that, mm-hmm. you know, I said, I said this last month, but the untold tales of Spider-Man, you know, I just take my hat off to that effort to kind of fill in some of those background holes and tell the stories that are wanting to be told out of all this era. For yeah. a second, Cat, Pat Olyph, we, we salute you. Yeah, the one who never got any background who I was always curious about was Ned Leeds. We never knew anything about him, but he's dating Betty Brant, which is all well and dandy, but Betty Brant's a teenager. And you're assuming that Ned Leeds is an adult. It was Ned Leeds also a young guy or something? Like, you know, what was the story there? We never got that. I think that. it's like in his early 20s, but... Uh... 
Well, hey, if she can cut her own meat, she's fair game. <laughs> well, like, if knowing that Betty's a teenager, when you get to the Ned Lead issues, it makes Ned Lead seem really creepy because, like, he's very possessive over her and he proposes to her, like, very, very early in their courtship. It's like he's, like, you know, trying to get this child bride or something. But then well, they when, take forever and a Leeds day to get married. It? When does Ned Leeds come into it? I, I, I can't remember what issue that is. Issue 18, um, uh, Peter okay. sees them out together and, and he calls Ned another boy. He uses boy, like, to emphasize that this is a young guy but then the next issue yeah. it turns out that he's working at the bugle that's I was about to say because a lot of these, a lot of times you can just tell that they're being written as as teenagers for the convenience of to relate to the readers but they're really kind of like for the for the plot's sake you know, they're, just, they're just recently writing them as adults like period one in one issue's like you know actually i may i want to take a trip to pennsylvania for the weekend and he's like 16 i would never <laughs> be able to pull that off if, with my mom by himself yeah exactly and they say, they say like captains after a plane ride through a jet i'm like the hell How's he doing this? Yeah. Yeah, and, and it would actually be faster to take a bus. <laughs> From New York really, to Pennsylvania. Well, now, because of, like, airport wait times and everything, I don't know how quickly you, you can get on the plane back then. I mean, it was probably That's like... True. A, There's probably, like, no security. You probably just walk straight out onto the tarmac and just board the closest plane. I mean, they, they probably didn't even search him for his web shooters or anything. Probably not. But, yeah, I mean, and Ned was, like... In the first few issues, like, he got sent away for Europe on an assignment for the Daily Bugle, so I doubt that the Daily Bugle would have sent a teenager for, like, overseas war assignments. Well, he could, I mean, he could be a high school graduate. He could be 19. And I think that, you know, the modern-day concept of adolescence and young adulthood was not nearly as developed in 1963 as it is now. I think that once you were out of high school, you were considered to be, you know, you're ready to do whatever it takes to be a grown-up. That's true. And and the, these issues are essentially progressing in real time. I mean, they, they say that the last issue happened a month ago, and a month ago is when the last issue was published. So Betty's freak out about how Peter's her whole life. They've been dating a month, at the very least, a month. Or, or, the, or the most, yeah. Two well, months. He was we, my whole world! What about your dead mother, or your dying mother? If we go by uh, release time, and actually a lot of the early Marvels in these first couple years, when they were still new, they considered calendar time as their actual time schedule, and a lot of times they'll reference to, we haven't seen him in a year, because it was a year since the last comic he'd been in. But um, it's been, you know what, issue seven is when they had their little cuddle under the desk, and this is issue ten now, so four months possibly they've been together. So Jonah's confession. Yeah, it's, it's one something that's never been brought up again. <laughs> no, it's, you know been brought, it's been brought up. I just don't Has believe it. it. I, I, don't, I don't think that later interpretations of Jonah can really jive with this In fact, the, the, the great Marv Wolfman, he had a really great scene um, at the end of issue 192, where um, they adapted this into the animated series, but without Jonah's confession, but where Peter and, um, well, Spider-Man and Jonah are tied to a bomb together by Spencer, by dying Spencer Smythe. Mm-hmm. And, like, the bomb's about to go off, and Jonah's still attached to it. Jonah thinks he's about to die, and he has a whole freakout on Spider-Man. He's, like, Jonah's having, like, a whole breakdown, and he, uh... And Jonah, like, later reconfesses that whole thing about how he's secretly jealous of Spider-Man, like, within the last two pages of that issue, after the crisis is averted. And you see just how warped Jonah is... Because he has to make himself believe this stuff about Spider-Man. Right. His whole yeah. he, his whole ego depends yeah. on it. I really I really like it because I think by like you know in this day and age we all know that Jonah is actually deep down a good person. But I like the I like the character aspect that he cannot he he, he really does hate Spider-Man like legitimately and he can't even though he recognizes him for who he is he can't or he can't bring it upon himself to really respect him like he says that you know I can't I can never respect myself while he lives. I thought that was a really really nice quote for this issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I just thought it was a big letdown that um, <laughs> the reason why Jonah J. Jonah Jameson hates Spider-Man is be- 
the the official reason that's given here is that he's jealous of him, and that is a cop out and a letdown. Yeah. You're just jealous. Uh, uh, to you, it is. No. <laughs> No, no, I, I, totally, I, I, I totally see what he's saying. Like, of all the venom and hatred that's been spewed from Jameson towards Spider-Man, it's because he's jealous? It well, doesn't... he's making a money. Again, because it goes deeper. Like, if Spider-Man's this great person and he's doing this for nothing and Jonah, you know, is so driven by, you know, what kind of a person does that make him? If Spider-Man's this good person, it makes Jonah a bad person. So, therefore, Jonah has to bring him down in order for his own ego. It is very ego-driven. It would have to be ego-driven. But just to boil it down to the oversimplified I'm jealous of him I thought was I mean even for for J. Jonah Jameson to acknowledge that in his own mind let alone say it aloud by himself of course <laughs> I, I just don't buy it and I, I think it's a bit of a letdown I, I think there is there are a number of reasons why J. Jonah Jameson can dislike Spider-Man or well flat out hate Spider-Man we, we haven't even gotten to Spider-Slayers yet oh god oh, oh I can't wait for that I love that issue issue 25 that's one of my favorite issues me too that's like that's like a, a it's like a day in the life of Peter Parker. It's like a sick. Real quick, is this the first time Spider-Man has taken on the mob? Uh, depends so- on what you consider the mob. You know what I mean? Like he's taken on you know little petty criminals the last few issues and like little criminal meetings. So like mob is a very uh, loose term. But this, this is yeah, this is organized crime under a central leader. It's not just a gang of thugs. You know, randomly. This is this is an operation. So yeah, I would say I would. I would say this is the mob, and yeah, it seems like to me like the first time. Uh, well, this is also not not the first time that Spider-Man goes up against the bad guy in the middle of the story, loses, and then goes up against him again at the end and wins. Yeah, once they did that with Doctor Octopus, they decided that was going to be their staple from then on. It's <laughs> a staple for every superhero comic. It pretty much is. In fact, I made a comment about that on From Crisis to Crisis with a Superman comic. Probably it's somewhere around uh, I can't remember which episode it was. There, he was going up against the Fearsome Five, and he actually lost in the in the beginning and in the middle then finally comes back at the end and wins and i thought to myself that's like early spider-man comics yeah, i remember you talking about that yeah it's like every single comic and every single episode of like the first five seasons of power rangers well it was also like a confidence issue with the superman story and that's totally non Superman, oh. but it's very very spider-man it was also written by marvel <laughs> like oh, five years after his spider-man run mm-hmm. so i'm not sure that anyone really takes the enforcers seriously anymore they certainly weren't used to good effect in the two-parter with the bookie a couple years ago but oh they do seem to be trying, you know, they're a little badass here. I think I think that especially Fancy Dan has a lost a lot of what is kind of cool about him in this particular presentation. You know, he's he's a pretty awesome fighter for being such a little guy. And after this, he basically becomes a joke and just a little guy with the gun who's always getting picked on. I also, the big man, if we sort of set aside the re- total ridiculousness of the fact that this is Frederick Foswell in platform boots, <laughs> I do like the look of the character, uh, especially the Very mask. Good. The fact the mask does not move throughout the entire story. I like the static mask. I like the fact. I mean, it's just it seems scary to me. Kind of reminds like like of, of a Batman villain like later on in the nineties uh, or like or was it the eighties or whatever. Uh, but like the, the, the first appearance, um, the first design of Black Mask. He kind of had something a little bit like that going on. My best guess is that that was nineties. Probably. I forgot. So in Amazing Fantasy fifteen, after Uncle Ben gets shot, Aunt May goes to stay with the neighbors, and then the first neighbors that we. We meet are these neighbors, the Abbots. 
And although we never see them again, maybe these are the neighbors that she goes to see in Amazing Fantasy 15. Well, first of all, Parallel Lives uh, did state that Aunt May stayed with the Watsons. Okay, that was going to be my question. Is is there some way we can know for sure? Not yeah. that it really matters, but... And they did later reckon that the Abbots were actually the Watsons, because Mrs. Watson was married to a guy named Gene Abbott for a brief period, and that's who those are. So this is... Te- no, I'm just I'm just messing with you about that. The Abbots turned out to be a terrorist sleeper cell, and that's why they're not around after. Yeah. No. <laughs> they were yeah. actually um, Peter Parker's parents, arch nemeses. In fact, the whole Mrs. Watson thing, that's still a mystery to this day because she's called Mrs. Watson, but we find out that it was Mary Jane's father's sister. But if it was her sister, why would she be Mrs. Watson? Well, that's the same with um, Ultimate Spider Man and Peter's Aunt May. Aunt May was sister's to Peter's mother, and yet they're oh, all really? named Parker. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. I, I just figured that in the Ultimate world, like, you know, uh, it was two brothers and two sisters that, you know, hooked up or something. That was the ultimate decision that Zach and I came to, is the only way it could work is if you have a and pair of brothers... that's kind of what they did in that, Trouble. Right. A pair of brothers and a pair of <laughs> sisters got married. We're going to talk about Trouble. Are we going to hit trouble. up Trouble later on? What's Trouble? Oh, yeah, uh, Trouble. I remember now. The, the Teeny Bopper comic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, we, we had a couple of those in our back issue bins, and I just didn't understand those covers. I, I've, never, <laughs> I've never read it. Those realistic covers where it looks like 14-year-old girl, it, like it bordered on child porn. In fact, there was recently a topic about it on Spider-Man Crawl Space, and it just... <laughs> it's it's especially funny since comic books are of course marketed to 24 to 35 year old men God. but yeah we never found out mrs watson you like because you could you just assume that maybe she was married to to someone in mary jane's family at one point because she's mrs watson but nope she's the sister of mary jane's father uh, so they ha- and whose last name is watson so i don't know maybe <laughs> she maybe she married a guy named watson it was just a coincidence and maybe that's how like they bonded hey your last name is watson my last name is watson hey if we get married you won't have to change your last last name and then they got married just for that reason when i read foswell's scenes in this book on at the bugle it seems to me like they're trying to play that he's been working for the bugle for a while but that we're just now noticing him yeah like like robbie <coughs> excuse me well no robbie came in as a new employee that's the impression that i well yeah we ha- didn't we have this yeah, argument yeah, we, yeah I, I was referencing the argument we got no, we're gonna determine okay. that when we get there but uh well robbie but, becomes such a prolific character that i think you can just forgive and and expect that he's relatively new and just been there for at least a couple of weeks but we don't really know anyone from the bugle anyway like in these old issues the only people that work there are jonah and uh peter and betty and spoil in fact like there's the issue with the circus of crime where jonah gets shot and the only people that visit him at the hospital hospital or like betty and peter because they're the only two bugle employees at this point well look at how many uh students there are at the at the high school there's flash there's liz and then a bunch of random people at any given at any given panel right yeah that's why untold tales you know basically like did free reign with everybody but spoiler alert foswell does come back and he actually becomes a regular supporting character and uh you know nowadays when you need a reporter at the daily bugle even though he works at frontline now they'll use ben urich to kind of team with peter harker before that they used ned leeds he was kind of the ben urich before ben urich was created but before ned leeds it was pretty much frederick foswell he was the yeah. he was the bugle reporter when you needed a bugle reporter and i actually i mean I had the first 20 issues in reprint, and Foswell doesn't come back until issue 23. So I didn't know anything about any of those stories. So once I read them, is is like, wow, this is a kind of a really cool little arc they take Foswell on after his criminal beginnings, and then the stories they do with him between 23 and 50. I just thought it was a really good use of the character. 
very cool supporting character. Yeah, I, I always liked it. Does he? Is he ever mentioned? I mean, I, I think he's mentioned in a uh, Marvel Knights once, but is he ever like brought up again after what happens? What eventually happens to him? Is he ever brought once, up again, like in a conversation? Yeah. Now yeah. and again, but very rarely. Like he was one of the first people that died. Uh, like one of the first supporting characters who died. So like they, you know, he's sometimes mentioned from time to time. If like you're giving a list of people who have died in the Spider-Man books, but he's kind of mostly forgotten there. Because if you're listing people who died, you know, you're gonna say George Stacy or Gwen or. <laughs> although we might and or we might see some mentions of him now because half of the people that Spider-Man feels bad about dying on his watch are now alive again. So So page eight, middle panel, Betty's running away and she's thinking, I can't do it. I can't let the dearest, most wonderful boy I've ever known get mixed up with the enforcers because of me. And Peter's thinking, I must have been wrong about her. She can't care for me if she won't confide in me. (laughs) And I'm just thinking, this is the first of a billion situations where Peter's girl problems would be sorted out if they could just read each other's thought balloons. Or Peter just being a jerk teenager, like, uh, she's being (laughs) shaken down by the mob. Dude, this isn't about you. The world, she must not care about me. No. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. shaken down by the mob, which you conveniently forget later on the issue, where you're thinking, hmm, she's not answering the phone. Hope nothing's wrong. No! Nothing's wrong! <laughs> Just the fact that her whole world is falling apart in the next panel as she's crying, and she's it, worried about you getting killed. But in this scene right after the shakedown, I mean, if you just look at Peter's lines, he is really being a jerk. He's like, those rats, they're not getting away with that. And then he says, the enforcers, huh? I've heard of them. How'd you get involved? Betty, you're not telling me the truth. Wait, why would you level with me? Betty! And then she's running away talking about how he's the one of the most wonderful boy she's ever known. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's also like we said that um, they... We, we've done this before recording, I think, but um, the, the guy points the forces out to Betty to talk to her. And then Peter, like, like two panels later, says, hey, what's going on here? But when he changes to Spider-Man, he's like, there's the punk who pointed out Betty to them. But on, on, on panel, it's not shown that Peter saw that. It's just kind of funny to see. By the way, um, you know how, like, some kid... I'm not naming any names here, but, you know, some people, like, if their parents are out of town and they're home alone, they'll walk around the house in their underwear or something that they normally wouldn't do. Aunt May's in Florida, and Peter's walking around the house, like, for the rest of the issue in his Spider-Man suit. That's like his liberating <laughs> thing. Like, Aunt May's not, he's like sitting on the phone, you know, talking. He's looking for cards from Betty. That's like the equivalent of like, you know, the people who walk around in their underwear are naked when like, you know, their parents are out of town. Okay, so what about the Batcave? I mean, the, the spider's web. <laughs> it, it does remind me of something that Batman, it reminds me of like, like DKR when he like, saw that guy over the, over the, uh, the city. You are yeah. in my yeah, spider's does it again. You have to read that dialogue like Christian Bale. You are in my spider's web. Now will you talk or won't you? Swear to me! Swear to me! And my spider. Yeah, my, 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 my one note about that is making a dummy spider out of webbing. No. <laughs> <laughs> He's out lucky of, that that criminal is an idiot. Out of leftover webbing, no less. That should have dissolved after an hour. Right. If he would have picked any other criminal, they would have been like, wow, you're an idiot. <laughs> Well, I like that when Peter Parker ripped the webbing that he had blindfolding the guy off, he also took his eyebrows. Yeah, I actually took all of his face. He's actually really bloody under that hat now. Yeah. You just can't see. Yeah! Um, you're ripping my skin off will, will scare me. Ah, giant spider! <laughs> So, page 11 at the bottom. Benny, are you alright? I want to ask you something. No, Peter, not now. I'll speak to you tomorrow, please. And I'm like, Betty, you lie. Because she like, <laughs> leaves town that night. And I have to wonder if this weren't a superhero comic, if it were, you know, a more normal story or real life or whatever. If the enforcers have found out who Peter Parker is in connection to Betty, and they can't find Betty because she's left town, and they want their money, wouldn't it make sense for them to go after Peter? Or her vegetable mother, who, you know, granted she hadn't been created at this point, 
point. So by leaving town, she's basically putting everyone she loves in danger. Awesome. Well, in a roundabout way, they do they do end up getting Peter. I love Betty. She's like, if I if I speak to him, he'll question me. It's like, no, he just wants to know about Jiona. He doesn't care that you've been shaken down by the mob. Unless your name is Aunt May, he doesn't give a crap about you. <laughs> that whole thing's insane. <laughs> so now, throw- Spider-Man cracks wise and fights all the time, but I, I think this is the issue where it really gets up to the level that we learn to expect. You think so? I think so, because I, I don't remember. I, I've just recently in the past week read everything up to this just to kind of get myself up to speed so that I can join you guys for it. And uh, I mean, he, he does crack wise here and there, but there's a whole lot of it during these fights with the with the enforcers. You could be right. I do love this fight. I mean, I think this whole issue, Ditko Rao did himself throughout, but this fight in the parking garage, I mean, there's so much good action going on here and obstacle course type things for Spidey to react off of. Nobody it's really... a point because of, uh, uh, since he's fighting normal gangsters, he can kind of like, he, he knows he knows where he stands instead of like supervillains where he kind of doesn't know what to expect as much. So I think yeah, he, does have, he does have room to crack, crack wise a lot. Nobody well, drew but... uh, enforcer fights like Ditko, and I think that's a big reason why we never saw the Enforcers that much in the series after Ditko left. Mm-hmm. The, the Enforcers, I, I mean, the, there's actually some really good fighting here. This is some of the more d- uh, dynamic Ditko Spider-Man fight stuff that I've seen. But my favorite my favorite line is on page 17. A judo-trained little man's always more than a match for a guy twice his size. <laughs> <laughs> always and forever. You know, if always. I were short, I would definitely refer to myself as a judo-trained little man. Yeah. You gotta wonder how these people, like, came together. It's like a little man, a big guy named Ock, you know, a cowboy. It's Well, uh, I also want to know how Frederick Foswell managed to get them all together. Like, I guess he just paid them, but, you know. Did they, did they know who he was, do you think? Well, the Enforcers later operate, like, independently of the big man, so you get the feeling that they've been a team for a while. Yeah, because, I mean, the big, made... there is no big man after this, but there are Enforcers after this, so. The Enforcers later kind of drift apart, too. Uh, I know there's a like some of the people who are in the Enforcers now are different people from the Silver Age Enforcers. I know Ah the Daredevil story in the Silver Age had his brain switched with the mad scientist and then like the mad scientist that had Ox his body like jumped off a building and died and then Ox's brain in the mad scientist body like something happened to him too. It was a really weird issue with Daredevil. Yeah I think like the Ox is actually the new Ox is actually the old Ox's brother or something and yet they just treat it like it's the same guy a lot of the time so the Ox is just kind of a weird character as far as continuity goes. Yeah the Enforcers are like they do they do show up again but uh Ox Honestly, the only time I've ever really, really enjoyed the Enforcers were Ultimate Spider-Man because they were, I don't know what it was, but they were just really entertaining in that in that version. They were excellent in Ultimate Spider-Man. I do like how they throw Peter Parker into a cell and like, it's a good thing they don't like come back and check on him in the next minute or so because right there in, in the cell, you know, with barred windows that people can look through and everything, he changes into Spider-Man, but it's probably because he has the Hypno-Coin. Or he's lucky that they didn't just take him into the car and he was thinking, this is my chance. They're going to take me to the big man's head. <laughs> <laughs> just like shot him right then and there. Well, that wasn't very well thought out. <laughs> I'd have gotten away with it, too, if not for some crummy luck. <laughs> yeah. like, or they just like, you know, like tied like weights to his legs and threw him in the ocean. And he's like, save me, Namor. <laughs> so what is he doing with the spider signal on 18? He sticks some webs on it and throws it, and then he says bullseye, but he hasn't hit anything. And, I mean, yes, it does happen to shine on a, on a building that happens to be where a police officer is walking by, but I'm not sure how he would know that. It's really a weird little thing that he does. 
I don't get it. Deku! Yeah, I'm blaming it on the art. It, even though the essentials were black and white, I still I, I couldn't mix it that either, honestly. I was so confused. So. I guess I you're know. showing that Peter Parker is a master of trigonometry. Yeah. So does any of you remember the first time you read this? Do you remember if you figured out who it was before the end? No. I always no. I always kind of like, you know, that was one of those things I kind of knew before I, before I, uh, I, I just I just knew Frederick Fossil or Big Man. The first big man was someone named Frederick Foswell, so I wasn't surprised. But it is kind of it is kind of funny because he's intru- it's one of those things where a character is introduced and he turns out to be the guy. I was with J. Jonah Jameson. I thought it was Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> Even he doesn't know. We do have our first little bit of a cliffhanger here with the whole Betty gone off to Pennsylvania, you know, wondering about Peter and Peter wondering about Betty, and they're going to follow up directly on this in the you know next issue. So it's kind of. The first continuing story, if you like, in Amazing Spider-Man. As Spider-Man discovers the strange secret of Betty Brandt, which I don't even think Stan knew what the secret was at this point. And really, there's no secret that he discovers. She was it's pregnant. Like, it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, she's pregnant. And Bennett's the father. <laughs> or Doc Ock, because we're going to get to that issue. Oh, my God. Doc Arthur Octopus cannot oh, yeah. keep his hands off of Betty for the next two issues. <laughs> 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 okay, so letters page catches up to issue six. Okay, well, first of all, um, John F. Labar. One thing I like about Steve's art is he really gives us the fans and beady-eyed little rascals something to gawk at. What with Liz and Betty ca- cavitating about around in every issue. Aunt May is all right too. Whoa, stop right there. He's talking about all the hot girls, and he's like Aunt May too. Oh no, it <laughs> yeah. can't be. And, and Not Dicko's on me, anyway. Oh, God. Wait, well, he's talking about how good Dicko draws the girls. I hope that this guy stuck around for the Ramita stuff. Right, because, I mean, yes. Dicko didn't draw an unattractive female, but Ramita certainly knew how to pull out the curves. Well, Rina was, I, st- was a I still say on May is a piece of ass. Dude, I look at all the guys. I mean, like, okay, Betty Brandt was Betty Brandt was hot, and Doctor Octopus was about to, you know, sexually assault her in the next issue. But who was the one that Doctor Octopus wanted to walk down the aisle with? Aunt May. Who did J. Jonah Jameson's father marry? Aunt May. What about Nathan Lubinsky or Willie Lumpkin, the mailman? Aunt May. Aunt May. Don't, for, don't forget. Don't forget Scrawl Jarvis. Yeah, Jarvis. Yeah, I mean, even Aunt the scrolls like Aunt May. Aunt May gets action. You know, she's. I mean, an Uncle Ben, and and that alternate Uncle Ben from that other dimension, from that weird, trippy, friendly neighborhood Peter David issue with the Hobgoblin from, like, space. Oh, right, right. Well, wait, wait, wait. Was he with anybody? No, but he like, he, he was he was all about Aunt May. He was, like, staring I'm, at her. I'm because... still waiting for the issue where they reveal that Aunt May now has the clap. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've been waiting for that. It's a brand new day. <laughs> <laughs> of, of sexual transmissions. <laughs> Don mm-hmm. Foot writes an email voting to ban word balloons. Email? Yeah, that's what I just said, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Don Foot writes a letter voting to ban word balloons on covers. What do y'all feel about oh, that? Oh. What? So he's the one to blame. Yeah, he, he took that away from us. Y'all now, like, sometimes y'all like it really word- only does take take one person to ruin a, a, a good idea. On the other show that I do, the From Crisis to Crisis, somebody actually emailed in and said that it wasn't family friendly for us to bleep out swear words. We just shouldn't have them at all. And the thing is that Michael and I were not even swearing. We were actually saying bleep. And then Michael just added them because it made it sound funny. And somebody <laughs> emailed in and, and said, no, that's not family friendly. So th- that's why we stopped. Uh, Never listen to somebody who complains about swearing. Yeah, it only takes one person. You know that's what I had awful. to say about that? Well, his mother's Yeah, that Yeah, I'll get right on that just as soon as I pull my out of your mom's <laughs> 
Yeah, nothing else really interesting in the letters page. Uh, there is an ad for one of the dumbest issues of the Fantastic Four ever, featuring L'Enfant Terrible, the in- infant terrible. Oh, wait, hold on. Before you, before you say it, there's nothing. Look at the... This is how you know that Stanley's making it up, because in the letters page in the special announcements, while we haven't worked out all the details of the plot yet, <laughs> next issue will shed further light on the strange secret of Betty Brand's past. It will also take Peter Parker and his peck of pickled peppers to a different town and put him <laughs> against a different type of supervillain. You may think there are no new types of supervillains left, but we just may surprise you. <laughs> yeah, it's Dr. Octopus. <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I like we haven't worked out all the details yet, meaning I haven't started writing it yet. <laughs> a month ago. <laughs> meaning that we already sat down, talked about it, plotted the whole thing out, but he's still doing the art and I don't remember what it was. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, sorry I cut you off there, John. I just I just noticed that and <laughs> No, it's fine. The Fantastic Four issue doesn't really have a whole lot of uh, importance to it. It's number twenty four. There's basically there is a super powered alien baby who misbehaves throughout the entire issue and that's the whole point i remember it was like really dramatic because they get his parents at the end and just to add some extra drama reader sue's like what if his parents decide to obliterate all of reality oh we're in luck they decided not to obliterate all of reality (laughs) with issue number 10 we have come to the end of spider-man's first full year of publication he premiered in june of 62 with amazing fantasy 15 and then the first issue of his own series hit stands in december so 1963 was the first year that he was being published regularly for the whole year. And so I would like to take a poll. Of the issues we've talked so far, with uh, just a quick review, we had the origin story, the chameleon, Fantastic Four tryouts, Vulture, Tinkerer, Doc Ock, Sandman, the Torch popped his team-up cherry in the Strange Tales annual, the Doctor Doom issue, the Lizard, the Return of the Vulture, the Tribute to Teens issue with the Living Brain and the Crashing the Torch Party, Electro, and the Enforcers. What's your favorite? I'd have to really sit down and think about it, but very instinctively, I want to say issue eight just because there was you know i was gonna say the same one darn it yeah well it there's lots of fun stuff in there with you know the whole human torch thing and uh you finally get to see peter knock flash out which is something that they've been leading up to for the whole series at that point with him saying every issue god one day i'd like to punch that guy out i mean the living brain he's a pretty sucky villain but you know it was worth it to see peter and flash fight and some of the human torch you know stuff was fun and Peter leaving the heart for Sue. But I, I might have a different answer in like three hours after we're done recording. <laughs> or in three I, hours when we get I to would the definitely next have issue. said issue eight for the exact same reasons. And see, the living brain actually takes issue eight to the bottom of my list. Yeah, I can't really... stand that fight. Like, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. But yes, the fight between him and Flash was cool. And I found the fight with the torch kind of annoying because Peter's being an ass. But that's fine. Y'all are allowed to have your own opinions. Well, just this once. What about um, what about you, Don? Do you have a favorite? Yeah, I, I'm hard pressed. I um, as much as I dislike the Vulture as a villain, I really do like issue seven, where uh, you know, oh, oh, I can I can just beat him, you know, as same way as I did the last time. Oh wait, I can't. Oh, my arm. Oh, I gotta fight him with one arm. <laughs> that's that's a really that's a really good uh, uh situation. I like I, you know the funky flirting at the end. You know, baby, I can listen to you all day long or whatever. I kind I kind of like that, and I also kind of like this uh, this number ten with the with the mobsters. But uh, uh I, I think like these last few issues are really really good. So for the first ones, I'll say number seven. But I, I do like I do like the majority of them. I really don't like the Tinkerer or the Living Brain. But that's besides the point. 
I really, really like the fight scene in issue seven. It's one of my favorites of the whole thing because of the printing presses and him dangling over them in the air and, you know, what happens if he went into those rollers. I Very, very cool suspense there. But yeah, where he's... I was thinking about this earlier today while I was washing the dishes. It's like, if you have a specified way of defeating an enemy established during the first story of the enemy, that enemy is done forever because you have that way of defeating him. So they had to come up with, like, this nebulous... Well, that doesn't really work anymore. Um... He's going to have to figure out something new to fight the Vulture this time. So it took away the Achilles heel of the character, and I thought that was pretty cool. My favorite might be... Uh, so I didn't even think about this before I asked the question. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Issue 1 was also pretty good, too. I liked the whole spaceship thing. Running away crying. <laughs> I, still, I still don't get how Spider-Man even got to the ship as it was falling, but I'm willing to buy into it because it's a Silver Age comic book. Right. But I, th- I think there are better Silver Age comic books, including basically the ones after that. <laughs> like all the others. <laughs> okay, Pretty I, much, yeah. I like issue nine. There's a lot of drama. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff between him and Flash and Liz, where Liz is starting to, uh, starting mm-hmm. to come around. The stuff with him and Electro, as much as we like to laugh at it and make fun of it, electricity is you know, pretty deadly. Uh, Even though it's cheesy yellow lightning bolts, I'd still like the the fights. And all the drama with Betty. I don't know. I think number nine is is my favorite as far as character stories go. Is there a moment that you hated? Besides the spaceship thing? And the ice webbing. Oh, (laughs) ice webbing. Oh, God. I forgot about that. Uh, Or or any time he makes a parachute out of webbing. (laughs) I'll let it go once, but they keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would have said Electro's origin because that just insults my intelligence. <laughs> it's Stan Lee, dude. All of the origins insult your intelligence. Which well, I, I could kind of wrap my head around it and play ball, but this is when I got shot by lightning by a twist of fate. I've got powers. No, no. By, by eating my cereal and milk at the same time as a tornado hit my house, I now have the power to uh, uh, make milk. A, yeah, to make milk things. <laughs> yeah, with Watch a funnel. Watch me milk this cow. That's my <laughs> I can control all the milk around me. Okay, I just thought I'd throw that out at y'all. My, my little uh, reunion of the whole year thing. Reunion is the wrong word, though. Remembrance? The year, the year yeah. of this podcast, yes. There, there's, this like is... a, there's like a slow montage like playing with like dramatic music and like highlights <laughs> of Spider-Man's year getting dropped into a water tower by the vulture, getting thrown out a window by Dr. Octopus, crying like oh. a little baby after the chameleon. And in the, in, in the variant Dr. video. All done to the theme of the Incredible Hulk TV show. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. So before we get to the next issue of Amazing Spider-Man, I want to point out another cameo from Strange Tales 119, which actually hit stands the same day as our next main book, Amazing Spider-Man 11. In this story, the Torch is throwing a temper tantrum in public with his flame, all mature-like, and he's peeved for various reasons, from girls to football. Spider-Man's headlines about smashing vast crime rings don't help either. I have to wonder if that's the crime ring from the big man. And this situation is used to full advantage by a man known as the Rabble Rouser, who is, of course, Rabble rousing rebels with his anti-torch sentiment. He gets crowds riled up and then uses his will-sapping wand to make sure they stay that way, because this is Strange Tales torch stuff. Um, so when Spidey hears about all this, he shows up to offer to help the torch. Three guesses how the torch takes it. Needless to say, the torch does nothing to make us think that the rabble rouser is actually wrong about him. But that's it. Spidey showed up to help the torch and got flame in his face for his troubles. That sounds like uh, like the hate monger's ugly like stepbrother or something. <laughs> the rebel rouser. And like the powers are similar he like rouses rebels and the hate monger like makes hate i like the fact that they, they still use the phrase son even this day even in the 60s 
It's made, it's made a combat comeback here. Hi, Smoky Boy. I just heard the rabble rouser. You sure are on his most popular list, son. Well, we're, we're, we're going to get to the times like later on when people call each other dad. Like Mary Jane does it all the time. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> and and to like men that she's like in relationships with. Son. <laughs> it should be it should be Gwen who be saying that. Dun, dun. Oh boy. So going into Amazing Spider-Man 11, taking us through this book, released on January 10th, 1964, with a cover date of April, is Donovan. Yay! A cover, yes. a cover of like sexual assault. And that that that, that won't be the last you hear of that. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Look like look at his arm. Like Spider-Man's arm. Grabbing his wrist. He's being forced down. No, no. Yeah, with, with a very new villain, the long way to return of Dr. <laughs> if you think we've seen. Oh, Stan. Oh, oh yes. The Turing Point featuring the return of Dr. Octopus. I hate you, Spider-Man. I'll hate you to the day I die. Is Spider-Man destined to lose Betty Brett, the girl he loves? How did it happen and why? So this issue is, uh, it really is a turning point because it's, a, it's the last time we see Betty in the goofy curly hair appears with hers. And uh, we lose a long time character that we never knew until this issue. Oh, starts- Look at Spider-Man's uh, hands in that uh, splash page. He's like, what's up, son? <laughs> yeah. Why, why do this to you, baby? What are you doing? Uh, She's like, why you got to be like that? Hug it out, bitch. Yeah, Peter doesn't lose the girl he loves at this point. He just loses her haircut. (laughs) This issue starts off actually right where the last one left off with Peter moping uh, unmasked and ungloved in his his house, wondering, yeah, Betty's gone. I should probably forget about her. Oh, who kidding? I'll never forget about her. Never stop searching for her. Wait, and he hears at the radio that Dr. Octopus is being released from prison after serving his lifelong term. So apparently, I'm thinking maybe a year has passed. But uh, they say they say a year at one point, I believe. Do they? Because I I was looking for that, and you know, going by calendar dates again, it's been seven months since, or was it nine months? Either seven or yeah, nine months. I've written down here. It's been nine months since issue three came out. So is that? I I expect Stanley to remember that. So just just for the record, if you go try to take over a nuclear power plant, your prison sentence will be nine months. Um, I actually actually have a theory about Peter's age, but uh, that that works into that project. Yeah. So so Spider Man jumps in, jumps out the window, and says, you know, y'all can't let him out. It says, but, but we can't hold him. You know, he said his presence is, you know, and you, you're not in a position to say different. So then we cut to Dr. Octopus, who is at his most hilarious in this issue with the facial expressions and the, the, the sexual come-ons and everything. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Mr. Tentacles. So uh, we cut back to... Um, is every page. is every Dr. Octopus book going to have a reference to tentacles? It I mean, is now. In, in, in a suggestive sense. Well, as long as Dr. Octopus is being suggestive, then yeah. And gosh, <laughs> he's suggestive in this issue. He's like... I mean, he's you get the feeling that he's been in prison for so long. Oh, he just needs to get some. You know, it doesn't matter if it's Spider-Man or Betty or Bennett. Yeah, and that, that, bottom, <laughs> that bottom left panel on page three, he's letting a cigarette that's an afterward smoke alright so we come back to Peter back in his house where he's coming up with another invention that yes it is the first appearance of the spider tracer dun, 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 as, dun, 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 dun. as he um, goes off to spy on Dr. Octopus um, and Dr. Octopus um, scoffs up the idea of actually taking a regular job Spider-Man notices that the driver of whoever picks up Dr. Octopus looks like Betty Brent it's Betty. What's her connection with Dr. Octopus? Um, they speed off, and he runs after her and chucks the spider tracer on top of the hood of the car. Conveniently, they, they drop a map for him to find. So they, <laughs> he uh, finds a, a map for Philadelphia, so he heads there. 
Meanwhile, we cut to uh, the the Philadelphia. Is the Philadelphia prison, or is it the prison? In New York? I get the feeling it's a Philadelphia prison because that's where um Gax Blackie's being held, and that's where they bring uh, Ock to break him out. So yeah. Are you yeah. talking about the Blackie uh, Gaxton jail? Yeah. Yeah. The caption says our scene now changes to the city of brotherly loves. So we're in Philly. <laughs> brotherly oh. love. Oh boy, that takes on a new meaning. Wow. Especially <laughs> with the last panel on page five. In Philadelphia. Is, is that a prison reference? I'm sure it's a reference to many things. <laughs> as are a lot of things in this issue. Um, yes, we are introduced to Philadelphia is a great town. And a great movie. Blackie, oh, yes. Yeah, we're introduced to this character named Blackie Jackson, who is a, he's just a fellow in jail. And he's talking to his, he's coming out as lawyer, a guy who's revealed to be Bennett Brandt, the older brother older brother of Betty Brandt. Bennett owes him money for some reason, and they say that as as if they'll be square if, if his sister helps break Dr. Octopus out of jail. Bennett's basically a, a, um, a guy with no self-esteem saying, how, how did I get in this mess with Gaxton? Now I got Betty, my little sister, into this. This is horrible. So he comes back to the, to his apartment where uh, we see <laughs> Dr. Octopus advancing on Betty with, with his tentacles at tentacles length. So you, you don't think Dr. Octopus is good enough to talk to you, eh? You haven't said the worst from New York. Hit it, Josh. Keep away from me! I brought you here as I said I would! <laughs> but now I want to go! I, oh, Bennett! <laughs> thank goodness it's you! If she, if Bennett had him walked in, like, if he would have, like, stopped for coffee or something, like, he would have walked into, like, the middle of a rape or something. With tentacles. Look at, seriously, look at that panel. He's got Betty, like, backed up against a wall, and, like, his tentacles are, like, on her wrists. He's, you know... Well, look at panel six. What exactly are Bennett and Betty about to do? I, is that, that, that's what I say. The dialogue is only that indicates that they're siblings. And siblings... And, and, I wonder and the art makes it like they're siblings in the uh, Luke and Leia way. I wonder if Ditko had, like, his own ideas. <laughs> well, maybe that was just an aspect of the plot that Stan worked out in the scripting. Maybe they didn't talk about that. That's well, kind of yeah, interesting. That's possible, but he explained away the sex scene pretty well. <laughs> uh, so, so, go, so go ahead, Donovan. Dr. Octopus slaps Bennett around like a little girl. <laughs> yeah, because Bennett, 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 he's actually, for, he's not a bad guy, he is pretty, a big wimp, and the, he, he, Betty and he are like panicking, oh, what are we going to do now? I'll make you proud of me, Betty, oh, I'm, I feel sorry for her. So Betty goes back to her classic opening she's done the last, I don't know, two issues. I gave him all the money that, so, that I had so he could pay his debts to Blackie, but it wasn't enough! It's never enough! I had to run away from Peter in New York because I didn't want him to know about Ben. How can I ever return? Where will it all end? Come back to a happier, happier panel where Peter is somehow convincing his, his aunt to let him go to Philadelphia all on his own during the weekend. A few <laughs> Yeah, I can't do it. And, and literally says, a few minutes later, after a jet from New York lands in the Philadelphia airport. So yeah, Peter's pretty Yeah, a guy. few minutes later, there's well, an airplane flight. My mind. The house in Forest Hills is, like, right next door to, like, LaGuardia. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it shouldn't be that far. I mean, they're in Queens, right? Yeah. Forest Hill, I'm pretty sure that it's in Queens. It could be in Brooklyn. I can't remember. I I confused the two because I know, okay, I never spent a lot of time in either one of those boroughs. But, um, and I've never been to Forest Hills, which is a real part of, of Queens. Yeah. You know, Peter, Peter never has a Queens accent in any of the live action or well, I was actually thinking about this because this is the 60s and airport security was nothing compared to what it is today. And if you hit the schedules right, it being a pretty short flight from New York to Philadelphia, this could just be like an hour later. Well, yeah, an hour, not a few minutes later. Six, yeah, six yeah. minutes isn't a few minutes. <laughs> That's spider speed. <laughs> yeah, it really helped the jet along with those webs clogging up the engines. That was the in only the, way to get it to go faster. In the art, does he hold the spider tracer remote as a necklace? That's what it looks like. Yeah, he's totally necklace. Okay. It's bling. 
That's bling. <laughs> it's also his good luck charm. He run, he, he he uses his. Well, potential. that good luck charm did not help Bennett Brands. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was supposed to help Peter, right, to get the the love brother out of the way. As far as having le- like a tracker to go along with the tracer, I so much prefer that to the spider sense version, where he can track the tracers with his spider sense. Yeah, whenever his spider sense becomes an electromagnetic tracer, I have a problem. But I'm going to try to pay attention to see when that first happens, because I, I've never been able to find that. Yeah. Uh, the um, animated series, they went this route, too, that it was um, that he had a little uh, thing that he can look at, as opposed to using his spider sense. It's a tricorder. I'm a big believer that the spider sense should tell him when there's immediate danger and do nothing else. Yeah. That's sort of my my take on it. I like it being vague. You know, it kind of has its own little bendy rules. Just sometimes it's so vague that it's literally ridiculous and it contradicts itself. Sometimes, yeah. So once he gets to Philadelphia... Back to the synopsis. Yeah, he he gets there and runs into Betty. And they're both in their, you know, romantic-style 1960s, but actually 1940s trench coat. And it's a typical romance scene, like where, you know, no teenagers would ever talk like this. Peter? You've been searching for me? I've never dreamt. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the dialogue. They pretty much, you know, she tells them about the whole thing about Blackie Jackson and her brother. And Peter's like, oh, that's not your fault. You know, and I just, great news. Uh, coincidentally, confidentially, Spider-Man's here too. So everything's going to be all right. I mean, this is where you see another classic uh, half-face spider mask. And in her, in her monologue in Thoughtful, says, I just decided. I can't keep her keep it from her any longer. Once we get back to New York, I'm going to tell, tell Betty that I am Spider-Man. Yeah, this will work out. Um, My girlfriend, who I've only known for a few months, who I know very little about, who just admitted that she has underworld connections i'm gonna tell her i'm gonna tell her i'm spider-man you should take his time like superman it took him 52 53 years oh i'd rather that not happen Cut back to Doc Ock, who's um, talking to himself and going going to the prison and breaking Blackie Gaston out. As Spider-Man is, is swinging around the place and, and chasing, being chased by police who, for some reason, think that he did it. Gaston and his men go back to uh, Bennett, the Brant's room, where he, they kidnap they kidnap Betty and Bennett and take him to their getaway ship, basically. It, it's, a, it's a barge or something. Bennett continues to prove how much of a, a wimp he is. Betty starts screaming, No, don't! No! That, no! Uh, gives a signal to Spider-Man because he hears it and Hart lands onto the ship where he sprains his ankle. He gets caught by the goons and they're all in the same room where Dr. Octopus starts looking even creepier. With Spider-Man gets him pulled by webbing the ceiling so he can, he, can, he can hold his own against the, against the guards on a large fight ensues where guns start popping everywhere. Jackson reaches for a gun where, where Spider-Man grabs him and they have a little, little struggle while shots are being fired left and right. Bennett pushes Betty back and is hit by one of the stray bullets. This clearly upsets the already really upset Betty who starts you know, saying it's Spider-Man's fault. He shouldn't have interfered. She hates him, hates him, hates him. Spider-Man says, and I quote, you don't know what you're saying. Stop it, girl. You mustn't. You can't mean it. And she's hitting him so hard that that spider on his chest, like, the legs are coming off. I saw, I see that. That's probably the speed lines, but yeah. It's a manufacturer defect. <laughs> it's speed lines. You notice how as soon as Bennett dies, Spider-Man immediately, like, the first thing he does is absolve himself from all responsibility. I told him to stay back until he got away, uh, until he got away from Blackie's gun. Why didn't he listen? First thing he says. Yeah, it's, it's not his response. It's not, like... The, oh crap! It's my responsibility. I got shot. Kind of Peter Parker. It's, uh, he, he it ain't was, my fault. Kind of Peter Parker. Yeah, he's like, hey, hey. For the record, I told him to stay back. You all heard me say that, right? Right. <laughs> oh, this is inside. I, re- I really like like because on issue 500, JMS revisited this, and Ramita Jr. drew a panel like we're off, off, off to the side. You can kind of see a Doctor Octopus running away. It always kind of made me laugh. But um, <laughs> it's, it's not it's not in here. But in that issue, you kind of see him kind of saunter away. <laughs> it's kind of actually kind of look at it. Like, awkward. Fun. 
<laughs> like, that's it about it here. Yeah, this, the, yeah, Gaxon runs away, and Spider-Man is, like, is like full-on crazy mode, so he, he ignores the pain of his sprained ankle and takes on all the guys, beats the crap out of them, and takes on, and follows Dr. Octopus down to his uh, getaway sub. He's getaway, on a berserker uh, rage. Yeah. Berserk fury. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna start pulling out his Mortal Kombat moves. A bullshit. <laughs> uh, uh, That's Street Fighter Two. He kind of does some shows you how much dialogue I know too, because he says to Gaxton, "I'll get you, Doc Gaxton. There's no place on Earth you can run from me." And that just makes me think of like the Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> if only Gaxton. There's only a one language to kill like he understands, and this is it. Boom. Nazis away. Um, yeah, he basically like fights like, a bunch of guys. There's, there's a lot of fighting, but some some other spirit henchmen grab Bay and, and like you know we got hostage now. Spider-Man has to do what we say. Uh, Doctor Octopus knocks those guys out and plans to kidnap her. But Betty, who's been hysterics for the last three issues, is just faints. Spider-Man um, tracks tracks Oct down to his uh, speedboat. Right? Yeah, the speedboat. They kind of they kind of have a struggle in a battle while the speedboat ends up crashing on a pier. Doctor seems to have escaped, and Spider-Man. I chase the scene as well, while the police round up everybody. Conveniently, Gaxi confesses to everything and clears Betty of the, of the crime. Spider-Man unmasks and uh, webs down his sprained ankle, and we cut back to the New York where it looks like it's the wake of uh, of Bennett. But uh, he has no friends. <laughs> no. Did you see this guy? You wouldn't, you wouldn't have had any friends. Betty kind of comes to her senses and says, you know, it, it wasn't Spider-Man's fault, but I don't want to see him again because it just reminds me of what happened to Bennett. And this is like a real sad ending where Peter's like, you know, I really can't tell her I'm Spider-Man anymore because it'll just bring Memories of her lame dead brother. So we end on a on a scene with Peter walking into the night while the while the moody image of Spider-Man um, haunts over him. Which is yeah. a very famous iconic image that's been homaged many times. It's very very. Yeah, and the anime series at the end of the uh, at the end of the Scorpion episode, is, you see it again. Issue fifty. Issue, yeah, issue fifty, I think. And then yeah, Peter Parker leaves Betty alone with her grief as he slowly walks into the night, little dreaming of the new adventures and surprises which await him. Yeah, that is well. It's not quite the same as the cover to issue fifty because the the, the cover he's facing forward, but you, you right. do have like the little Peter Parker with a bigger Spider-Man, and the idea behind that is that Spider-Man is bigger than Peter Parker. Bigger, not I mean, not not physically, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you meant, but just like hearing you like try and explain it is funny. You're like he's bigger. Oh, well, I do my and, best, and, I, and I'm thinking, wow, that's like really deep. And then you're like, not 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 physically. Yeah. That was also pretty much the end of uh, Amazing Fantasy 15 too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that there was a shadow though. I think it was just him walking away like a you know like a little girl. All right, if I flip back real quick, I can see. What is it with you and little girls? Were you still talking about trouble? <laughs> Spider-Man, Spider-Man is a little girl for all these like early issues. I, I'm telling you. He really uh, is. Bennett, Bennett was, a, was a bigger whip than he was in this entire... And, and you suddenly and, lose your female audience. Like we had. Yeah, there, there's no shadow. I mean, but it is a very similar pose. Yeah. Because I'm looking at it right now. So how many times has the hero gone to the prison warden to try to stop the guy from being released. I thought that was kind of a novel approach. I don't think I've seen that before. It's like, no, oh, that, don't let him issue. out. I've seen, I've seen it so many times before. I think, they, I think they did an issue of Impulse. They did an issue of... Uh... No, it's never been done before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's but, been done seven times. I do think that giving 
Octavius back his arms while he's in jail was a magnificently idiotic idea. We just recorded our Ultimate Six coverage for Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man podcast located at TeenageWasteland133.Libson.com. And yes, I'm the showrunner, so I get to pit my own stuff. And uh, that was one of the things that happened. Uh, The first sign of cooperation, rehabilitation, they give Octavius his arms back. And what's the first thing he does? He kills everyone in reach and springs all the other baddies from their cells. Doesn't quite do that here, but it's still a very terrible idea to give him his arms back in jail. I mentioned in another episode they all uh, that we did that they also did that in Untold Tales. There's a trial and Peter's there with like Betty and the Midtown High Gang and Dr. Octopus is like, ah, you should bring forth Exhibit A, my arms. And Peter's like, wait a minute, guys, don't, it's a trick. <laughs> it's a trap. trap. <laughs> yeah. It's a trap. It's a trap. Happy Fourth. It's Star. It's Star Wars Day. May the Fourth be with you. Whenever you're <laughs> listening to this, dear listeners. <laughs> Ditko, uh, uh, like Doctor Octopus looks hilarious in every panel. Like I don't know what it is, but like there's a look on his face. Like like in the in the panel where he's getting in the car and you see Betty. That cracks me up. <laughs> he's giving Betty a once over there. He's like, yeah, yeah. yeah you you know what? Why did they send Betty to be the driver instead of like you know some thug or something? And I'm realizing now. I mean, okay, I guess yeah, you can send a thug because then the police would know like Betty wouldn't arouse suspicion but maybe like she was saying kind of as a gift to Doc Ock like you're getting out of prison here's a woman that totally fits the facial expressions like he's undressing her with his eyes and she knows like it's based like instead of getting a prostitute they got Betty that's so wrong it totally fits but it's so wrong like like, on all seriousness that that probably is what happened in in the next scene he's like what do you mean you won't have sex with me (laughs) so you don't even think you're good enough to talk me, huh? Bennett walks in just on time. Like, if he would have stopped for coffee. Like, five minutes later and she, she's like, you know, up the ceiling. Like, what? <laughs> he pins her to the ceiling. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, oh God. So, on Amazing Spider-Man, SVU. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Mrs. Saber, police, open up. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't met Aunt May yet, so, I mean, he, but, for, I mean, oh, he, but he has a fixation on Betty for these next few issues. Dear Lord. Well, it's obvious that Aunt May would definitely cure him of that. I mean, yeah, she evens him out. So, yay for during another kidnapping attempt to Betty. Yeah, he's after Betty and he finds his true love. So, I I know this, I already know this is an inconsistency because Aunt May lets a 16 year old Peter Parker go to Philadelphia for the weekend. But in a later issue, I remember him trying to go somewhere else. And she's like, I don't know. He says, Well, Aunt May, I'm a senior in high school now. And that's when he's older. So, what the. With a frack. Aunt May is Alzheimer's or something. Yeah, because well, he, th- I mean, th- he is listed and described as being a senior throughout the series. But he does age and go to u- u- upper levels of school at the same age. time. They've been I calling think... him a senior since issue eight, FYI. Have they really? Yeah, remember? I think they called him a senior in his first issue. No. He got held back. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Then, then he'd be older. He in Amazing Fantasy Spider-Man. 15, they're talking about him qualifying for scholarships. That Yeah, but maybe he could start applying for, I don't know. Um, well, here, yeah, well, I was going to say, here, here's my thing. I Here's my theory. And I, it's not legitimate. It's just my stupid idea. But I think from because he graduates in issue 28, right? So that is uh, four years in high school. Seven, seven, seven by four is uh, 28. So from issue one to seven, he's 15. Eight to 14, he's 16. Uh, 15 to 21, he's 17. And 22 to 28, he's 18. That's how kind of how I Yeah, see but it. you're dividing it up evenly. And for all you know, like issues one through 10 can take place over 
six months and issues 10 through 20 can take place over two you know what i mean i, I never said it made sense but that's how yeah i mean yeah i, I don't yeah I'm, I'm just gonna point out real quick trying to rationalize time in comic books is just a waste an of exercise time. in futility right franklin richards Say no more. Uh, yeah, it's an exercise in, in, in stupidity. And Franklin one. Richard's sister, she's already like past toddler aged. I mean, th- they have it been hasn't getting. Even been that long. All they've been doing well, is by, getting by closer. Right, Spider Man should be like fifty years old right now. By all rights, but but hey, he's not. And Superman should be dead. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, they should be dead. should be dead. On May. Yes, they were, yeah. and she has. She's she has. Dead she'll dead talk to you about it. She says it was and, a fun and her actress. I find it so funny that in this issue, Peter's so willing to tell Betty, oh, by the way, Spider-Man's in Philly. Granted, he was planning on telling her who he was anyway, but later on in the series, when he's not as young and stupid, he's afraid, like, oh, no, I can't let Spider-Man be seen here while Peter Parker's here visiting her. Oh, no. Yeah, like with Gwen in London, where granted that was another country, so it would have been a little more suspicious. But all the time, he's like, if Spider-Man's seen in the same state that Peter Parker's in, people are going to think that I'm Spider-Man. That he was right. like, oh, yeah, Spider-Man's in Philly. And Betty, she's like, Peter, you came looking for me? Wait, aren't you a teenager in uh, high school with, and you left the state without parents? Like, I don't think a teenager would be able to do that. Like, when I was 17, well, when, let's say he's 17. When I was 17, if my girlfriend would have left town, I don't think I would have been able to, like, show up in another city looking for her like i think yeah she'd be surprised to see but she'd be thinking how on earth did you get here by yourself i don't know i i, I had an apartment to myself when i was 17 for the summer it's like an episode of the wonder years because they kind of pull the car like crap a lot it's like winnie cooper oh, well i mean I, I was pretty much on my own anyway i went to college when i was 16 oh okay so talking about the wait, whole wait. um giving up your identity when you're traveling thing isn't that i mean while superman was in exile isn't that why he never changed to clark kent because if mongol saw superman and clark kent at the same time he would know superman's identity why would he need to be clark kent There's, while he's yeah, in no, space yeah plus I, I don't think he had glasses at that point i don't think he had it in his mind when he left the planet that he would need to change into Clark Kent at any time. I, I was joking, but that's okay. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> Mon- Mongol's not going to give a rat's ass who Clark Kent is. You can mess around with, with secret identities. One of my favorite ones with Superman, this was sometime in the 50s. I can't point to a specific issue. Um, actually, it may have even been in the 40s. He rescued some third world country. I think it was from a tsunami or something to that effect. And so they created a postage stamp. Now, this third world country, it, it doesn't exist in real life, but it has two O's in the name. It's a really long name. So they made a postage stamp with the name of their country on it with Superman and the two O's were over his face like glasses. So he had to stop production of this stamp that was honoring him. That's I've like, seen that story. I've read that story. So it's pre-1955. That's like Is, when he okay. had to destroy that Pat Boone record because the Pat Boone record <laughs> had a subliminal message that he was really Clark Kent. And like he had <laughs> he had to like track down all the records and destroy them and destroy the lyric sheet. I recently read the one where he had rainbows that shot out of his fingers and could create a little mini version of himself and that what? was like his his fantastic new superpower i'm not surprised silver age you know i think it was even pre-silver age i can probably dig it out real quick okay. welcome to the makes no sense podcast but yeah you think that this stuff is weird if we ever did a podcast past about silver age superman cut to a year later where we're doing it i mean <laughs> we would just spend like the whole like we do like a five minute recap and then the rest of the episode what what the I've, heck? I've got a pretty good amount of Silver Age Superman. If you if you do that, tell me. I, I, <laughs> we'll, we'll never ever do a Superman uh, podcast one year later. I can't believe we're doing a Superman podcast. 
<laughs> okay, episode 50 of Superman Family. So this is the issue where Supergirl turns into a magic frog again. Jimmy Olsen, you know. From World War to Crisis. Dun, dun, okay, dun, dun. The, the one with the rainbows coming out of his fingers, that is Superman number 125. Okay, I was going to say, that's Silver Age. I, I'm in 1955, which is the year before the Silver Age. I hadn't seen it. I'm already well, this on. Is a, this is a 10 center, and hold on. This is in my uh, Superman Man of Tomorrow archives. 125, uh, I'm going to guess 1957. I'm already on too many podcasts, but I'd totally be down for this just because of how much fun it would be. I've, I've, uh, I've been you... considering it, but I have too much stuff going on in my life. Well, fair enough. It was November 1958. Okay. That's right, because Superman wasn't monthly. It was like two out of three or something like that. Okay. Yeah, it's, Superman didn't get monthly for a while. It was really weird. So, so yay for the first Spider Tracer, but watch out, Pete, because these things are going to be used to frame you for murder in about 580 issues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, he gets framed all the time he doesn't care and on the whole thing about peter and betty's reunion scene how come betty doesn't ask how peter found her i mean granted she's got a lot on her mind but wouldn't that be a little suspicious like yeah how did you find me are you stalking me <laughs> she's so relieved to see him you know because <laughs> her brother lover is in trouble just imagine like the whole car ride like you know she's so tense and she's really that like and you can like imagine dr octopus he like puts a tentacle on her shoulder and starts to like you know um put like her the sleeve of her shirt down to like reveal a shoulder and she like just flinches and keeps driving and just like says nothing what i want to know is if dr octopus and blackie and bennett are all in the middle of this big you know criminal planning shenanigans why did they allow betty to go walking down the street uh, so that she could meet peter parker it's a plot device and it had to go somewhere <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that's not what it was just saying i think that i mean it, it, i get the point that bennett was supposed to keep an eye on betty that he was kind of trusted to do that okay and that if and that if betty did anything there was kind of a trust going on that if betty did anything like she wasn't going to run off because if she did then bennett would have been whacked so page five in another episode in the life of john reading these books as a kid i didn't get the whole penzi reference uh, he says there. He picks up a map of Philadelphia and says, "And they're Penzi plates, so that means it must be in Pennsylvania." Um, my knowledge of geography up in the Northeast was so limited that attaching Philadelphia to Pennsylvania and the word Penzi, it just didn't click in my head when I was little bitty. Of course, I did figure it out later, but you know. Moral of this story, this issue overall: credit is bad, kids. Don't borrow money unless you have to, and only from reputable sources like banks, not gangsters. They might try to kill you or your sister. Free tips for living from John Wilson. You could see like a public service announcement that they sometimes do at the end of sitcoms if they tackle a serious topic like abortion. It's like, hi, I'm Peter Parker and I like to go web swinging. But here's something that's a little more serious. Loan sharks. Never, tr <laughs> never, ne never trust a loan shark. Especially if his name is Blackie because every bad gangster's <laughs> name is Blackie. Which Stanley would later reuse that name, Blackie, for uh, the second vulture. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of Stanley reusing, this entire plot would get recycled about, uh, let's say, 70 issues or so later, with uh, Dr. Octopus and Peter fighting, and Captain Stacy gets caught, and basically the loved one of his uh, current girlfriend getting caught in the crossfire. <laughs> oh and then, God. and right down to that person banging on Spider Man's chest saying, I hate you, I hate you. And Spider Man wow. saying, Now I can never reveal the her who i really am the same villain is used and everything and wow Holy, really I, I had never made the connection oh i did like years ago i was like wow this is like it's almost a direct lift i'm the the story i mean 
people talk about retreads now, like, oh, Spider-Man did that in issue derpa 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 retread. <laughs> but Stan was doing it too. Stan was retreading its own stuff. It's a Spider-Man trope to be reach to recycle stories. I know it's it's it's. But seriously, <laughs> who, who would ever notice? Do you do you think that like Gwen and Betty ever like sat down and was like, yeah, Spider-Man kills our family members? What was that? Was that ninety or ninety six? When did Stacy die? Was that ninety? Um, no, that was, was one twenty one. No, Gwen Stacy died in one twenty one. Not, not Gwen, Captain. Uh, I want to say ninety or ninety one. Okay. Or no, it was in the late eighties because issue eighty seven was when he like did that whole drunken coming into the birthday party thing and saying I'm Spider Man. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was ninety. Yeah, uh, let's let's call it ninety, and we're in eleven, so that's eighty issues, so that's but, but who, six and a half who, years. It, it, it is ninety. At least we didn't have a scene of Spider Man carrying Bennett away after he's been shut. It's like you have to take care of her, Peter. Oh, you know who I was all along? That, that would be crap. That would have been horrible. <laughs> Especially since he never met Peter before at this point. But, but when, when, when Captain Stacy does, who bangs on Spider-Man's chest? Gwen? Um, Betty, Gwen does, like, it, it's not that issue, but it's it's like one of the... Oh, when, when Iceman's in it? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a few times where she runs into him. And there's, like, seriously identical scenes. Like, when they're in the car after his funeral, like, it's almost a dialogue-for-dialogue dialogue rip of uh, Betty's... <laughs> Oh, Stanley, the only man to rip football. He's ripping. He's like, I figure nobody remembers that now. A lot of people, when they talk. That's around the time of the Arnold Schwarzenegger ad for bodybuilding. Yeah. A lot of people, when they talk about Peter and Betty's relationship and why they broke up, they they always talk about this as the beginning of the end. But really, at this point, they've only been dating for a few issues and they don't break up for another. uh, It's really not. It's like the whole Dicko run is the only time. It's like, you know, 20, it's almost 20, 30 issues after this that they break up. People people like to point to this that, you know, this is when they fell apart. And she actually forgives Spider-Man pretty quickly. She has no issues being around him in Spider-Man Annual 1. And in issue 17, she's casually walking with Peter down the street. And she's like, oh, Spider-Man's a nice guy. He has saved my life a few times. Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of interesting because they're telling Betty to be like the great love of Peter Parker in dialogue. But really, their, their, relationship, their, their relationship just kind of falls by the wayside like naturally it's not due to any stupid thing happen happening it's just you know and it lasts like pretty much the entire dicta run is pretty much like the 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 length of their relationship pretty much yeah and pete betty gets over the death of her brother pretty quickly it's not this it, thing but you know and it's kind of been retroactive that oh you know betty will never forgive spider-man for the death of her brother but she does yeah she does i mean and, but there, she, her morning is all done privately it's all done off panel but yeah what donna would say it's all done fast the whole relationship betty brand relationship ramita decided ramita and lee decided to write that off but they I did i can't it. believe they did it again <laughs> Say what? I can't believe they like. He, Josh is right. This whole thing is ripped off completely. When uh, <laughs> I can't believe they did that. You, I love how you're just coming to this realization now. No, I, didn't, I didn't get it either. <laughs> I'm totally with Donovan on this. I did not see that connection. But you're, it, it's a direct doctor, doctor octopus, and like you know when, and it's the same thing. You know, he wants to tell her who he is, but then he can't. Hold on, let me read oh like God. a line of dialogue from Peter in issue 184. No, this is just regarding the Betty thing because he's thinking about when <laughs> Betty gave him a tumble. No, I'm reading from like when Betty comes back in the 180s and he's thinking about why he can't be with her and he mentions like, you know, how much she hates Spider-Man because of what happened to her brother. Oh yeah. Besides, have I forgotten how much she despises Spider-Man? <laughs> but she doesn't. Yes, she I that's, mean, but it's this thing that right? 
yeah, Marv Wolfman. It's this thing in the later issues that, well, Betty hates Spider-Man because he killed her brother, but Betty doesn't care. <laughs> well, maybe Peter I, still thinks that Betty hates Spider-Man. I yeah, mean, I, 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 don't, I don't even think that was, that was actually brought up that she, oh, she hates Spider-Man. I thought that, because I remember reading these consecutively thanks to the Essentials, and I don't remember that being brought up all that all that often, but I guess the people, the, the writers who didn't read the issues kind of put that It in was there. brought up, like, a lot later. Like, if you read annuals or this montage of the great loves of Peter's lives, a lot of them will say, after the death of Betty's brother, Bennett, she hated Spider-Man, and it eventually it drove her and Peter apart. It's like, no, their relationship continues. That is such a lie. It's... It- it's an interesting take on the superhero dynamic. It's sort of a, a role reversal because there's the the standard Lois Lane loves Superman, but not Clark Kent and either hates Clark Kent or just doesn't care for him um, or or even that they're friends, but doesn't care for him romantically, but is very romantically infatuated with Superman. So you do the role reversal where Betty might not like Spider-Man. And I, I think that's set up here, but but really like Peter Parker. That that is set up here. It just doesn't played with again after that. Yeah, exactly. She so mentioned you could, so you could take that from here, except that it just isn't played with again anytime soon. She mentions her brother briefly when Peter tries to propose to her because he's trying to one up Ned Leeds. Like literally, Peter's going to base a whole marriage off of one upping Ned Leeds because he's like Ned proposed. Well, I better propose now too. Yeah, he's, he's like I gotta propose fast right now. <laughs> yeah, and Betty's like, oh, I I haven't forgotten about Spider Man and my brother, but like she says, I she says that she hates adventure, that she hasn't forgotten what happened to her brother. Yeah, but that's it, that's an aspect of her character that's new here. I mean, you brought it up in issue number seven that at the end of that story, you know, she's just been hiding behind the desk the whole time, not cowering in fear or having emotional breakdowns, just getting to a safe place. But I think with this whole Bennett Brandt thing, they've taken her character in a much more cowardly direction that, frankly, I'm glad is no longer true. But kind well, of she has to be the damsel point. in distress because now she's the girlfriend. She's the leading lady of the strip. So. Which is the same thing they did to Gwen Stacy after they finally hooked up is Gwen lost all of her personality and she became the damsel in distress or the love the love girl on the arm. I would even argue that when she started like become like seriously attracted to him and really wanted his attention, she like after the post post Ramita issues that she lost her personality. Oh, we're, I'm, I'm reading to Lily. We're still in the Ramita issues, and she is no longer a person. She's a girl cardboard cutout. She's a blonde-haired, blue-eyed caricature. Caricature, exactly. She, she's an archetype. Yes. And, well, she's Silver she's Age girlfriends. She's there to serve girlfriend. a purpose, not to have a character. Silver Age girlfriends are not characters. They're Silver Age girlfriends. They function for <laughs> they function for the sake of drama. Until they get their own yeah, I, series. But there's no issue where Peter and Betty... I had a Age girlfriend in oh. high school. <laughs> there's no issue where Peter and Betty just like break up like you can say peter yeah they just dissolve you can say peter and mary jane broke up in issue 193 of amazing peter and the black cat broke up in spectacular spider-man issue 100 then again in issue 129 but peter and betty it's like uh she says that ned proposed to her peter gets mad betty wants to talk to peter about it peter doesn't want to talk to betty betty leaves town peter wonders where betty went betty comes back and then they just have coffee casually and no, like they drifted that, apart that first date is where it it ends i mean that's where the that's where the arc is drawn to a narrative close because they go out for coffee to you know they think that you know they're going to have this big reunion and they realize there's no spark so while it right. was no there wasn't an event that brought them apart there definitely was an event that brought the narrative to a close does anyone else have any other thoughts on this betty brant's uh, getting like the cops clearing her of everything i think that she would have been in a little more trouble yeah that's, that's way too convenient yeah yeah i only have one other note and it's this spider-man sprained his ankle <laughs> he landed on a rope. And okay. then on page uh, 19, he's landing on the boat on the bad ankle. 
Does anybody notice what's missing from the story? Well, we had a hit uh, point, so I'm not sure. A, a date between Peter and Betty ever? J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, yeah? I, I thought, but I wasn't sure. I mean, he's not saying, Spider-Man's really Blackie Gaxton, and I can prove it. <laughs> Parker, get me a picture. And there's no, oh, you're going to go to Pennsylvania with that J. Jonah Jameson? Oh, he'll take good care of you. Mm-hmm. Jonah would have been there, like, saying to Betty, don't worry, I'll prosecute Spider-Man for your brother's death. He hates me more than ever now. This entire story. Yeah, he has the same thing. Um, uh, with Freddie Croswell. We do have some first appearances here, of course, with Bennett Brandt, who dies, but he does appear in retcon stories later. Uh, the one I know about being Untold Tales number 12. Also, Blackie Gaxton. Despite all the bad guys you will see over the years named Blackie, this Blackie Gaxton never appears again in the comics. But we do know that he went to jail, and according to the prose novel Down These Mean Streets by Keith R.A. DeCandido, Gaxton reformed after serving his sentence and became a store manager. What? I thought you were going to say got the electric chair. I'm like waiting and waiting. <laughs> Me too. Nope. And then you're like, reformed and opened up a convenience store. Exactly. What kind of store was it? Uh, the notes I had, all it said was store manager. I haven't actually read the novel. I was just looking off. Blackboard. It was, wonder, it was a Kmart. It's actually a front. Since this was uh, Dick and Dito writing the book, it could have just as easily been that Gaxton became a Klingon ship captain. Because, I don't know, I guess y'all don't know, he writes a lot of Star Trek books with Klingons. If I can do another shameless plug, we did interview Mr. Dick and Dito on Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man podcast as part of our Venom coverage in episode Ooh. number 20. He wrote some prose stories involving Venom, a novel or two and a short story or two in the late 90s. So we brought him on to do some Venom talk. There are ads in this issue, the Fantastic Four number 25 and the X-Men number 4. The Fantastic Four book features a fight between the Hulk and the Thing that ends up leaking into the next month. And the X-Men finally meet the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants for the first time, with first appearances of all those characters, most notably Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch, who is green on the cover. And there's another ad for two more triumphs from Marvel. First is the Avengers number 4, where finally, at long last... Captain America lives again. Yeah. Yay. Ice. Ice. Speaking of the Avengers, you notice uh, there's um, one of the letter writers said, did you ever consider putting Spider-Man in the Avengers book? To which I reply, yeah, wait about a few decades. Yeah. Wait till, uh, Spider-Man doesn't have... belong in the Avengers. That's the thing. There's a lot of clairvoyance in these... Um, in some of these letters, like one person said, wow, with Spider-Man in love with uh, Sue and Reed in love with Sue and Namor, there's going to be a rumble going on, which they did a story about that in Untold Tales Annual 1. <laughs> and then there's All the Untold one... Tales are based off the letters. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's one where some guy's like, hey, you should give Spider-Man a spider kid. And then they say, he's not even married yet. <laughs> sad trombone well the real, wedding has holes in it so it could happen real quick before oh, we God. keep talking about the letters um daredevil number one also got advertised here is saying in the sensational spider-man tradition dare hyphen devil the most daringly different superhero of all as only the mighty marvel comics group could present him destined to become the smash success of 64 See what the shouting's about. Get your copy today. So yay, Daredevil. Daredevil in the Silver Age, it's very underrated because lots of people are like, oh my god, Daredevil was not even created until Frank Miller came and reimagined the character and made him awesome. I like the Daredevil Silver Age stuff. Me too. I love the early Daredevil. I've, I've read the first 20 issues or so. I, I should read more. And in fact, I, I've only read a couple of the Frank Miller ones and I enjoyed them. But again, for me, Marvel in the Silver Age is my favorite for Marvel. I think 
the- I actually got the first uh, volume of the Essentials a couple of months ago. I've actually only made it to issue two because Stanley has a habit of like describing his powers to every single panel. Like with my superhuman uh, sense of touch, I can touch the faint marks of the of the fingerprint, and it's like really overly descriptive. So it's to me, it's a little hard to get into, but I've not read all that much of it. No, you're completely right. He he so over narrates the use of the powers for a lot of those early issues. But I think the problem with Daredevil is that all of the modern fans of Daredevil like the modern Daredevil. So you go back to an issue of, you know, Stan Lee or uh, whoever wrote Daredevil after Stan Lee. Uh, Bill Everett. Bill Everett. No, he was an artist, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he was an artist. Any, anyways, um, you know, it's a completely different take on the character. But I was talking on one of the uh, Skype chats recently, and somebody, I want to say it was Thomas DJ, was talking about Daredevil. And Daredevil like the opposite of most superheroes he spends his entire life bottling up his personality you know in order because for the sake of his studies and for the sake of you know being successful in life after his dad died he had to you know be this straight-laced overstudious serious person it's not until he becomes daredevil that he can finally let loose and be his own self and even take that to an extreme with the whole Mike Murdoch story when that came about. But, oh um, God, Mike Murdoch. That was one of the craziest Silver Age things ever. But it was Daredevil like, you know, hanging loose and letting letting himself be silly for the first time. It's basically a male version of Mary Jane Watson from the Silver Age. Oh, really? Like, oh, daddy-o. Oh, hey, hey, Mike, where's your brother Matt? Oh, be right back. Well, the original Daredevil costume is, uh, I, I really do prefer it as most people do when he did turn it to red because of this yellow one i just have to think this one was designed by a blind person (laughs) (laughs) and it's like he never met he and foggy never knew any women in college because the second that both of them meet karen page no they're not trying to date her or they're not trying to take her to bed they both want to marry her like within the first few issues they're both thinking about how they're going to propose marriage to this woman i I, Skip the I, dating. I mean, I, man, I, I can't imagine going back to the dating scene. I'm so happy that I'm married. I don't I don't want to go back to the dating scene. I really don't. This is you true. Really, you should not read Amazing Spider-Man right now. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so going back to the letters page, Paul Fiola says something odd in his letter. He's raving about issue eight, and he says, Wow, what a way to kick off the 1964 season of comics. And I don't really know what he means there, because that book's only three months before this one. It came out in October. So I just wonder if, if there's some element of 60s comic culture that I don't know about that considers, you know, October the start of the, the comic The only thing season. about the 60s culture is that he's probably on drugs when he wrote that letter. <laughs> um, what, or, or 12. Which, which issue is he talking about? Is he talking about... He's talking about eight. The uh, uh, Living Brain. Well, 11, 11 is cover date April because these were cover dated way in advance so that they could stay on the newsstand longer if they needed to. So if he's talking about issue 8, that was cover date January. There you go. I didn't think about that, but you are totally right. So yeah, he's talking about uh, launching the 1964 season, meaning the cover dates. Cool. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. I knew there was a reason we had you on here. Well, I do what I can. I am what I am, and I do what I can. It was for tax purposes yeah, that right. we had Jeffrey on here. Joseph Shea... gives you a tax write-off. Right. Joseph Shea takes him to task for issue eight, as well as several other books. But one thing he says was that he didn't like how the book take place in a school because it didn't give the artist a chance to show his talents. But... After I read that, I was thinking, 
that while reading all these issues for this episode, I've been noticing how varied the settings have been for the fight scenes. We have Electro on rooftops, the Enforcers in a parking garage, Octopus on a boat, next issue we're going to have an amusement park, and it just keeps changing after that. I think the school was actually a really great idea to try for an issue. I don't know if y'all have had any opinions about the, f- the action and everything in the books. I like that it's in the school. It's not like Ultimate Spider-Man, where like every single thing happens at Midtown High to the point where everyone just like knows that Spider-Man goes to their school. Yeah. It's so much worse than Ultimate Spider-Man, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. Leonard Tirado considered the second Vulture story an improvement on the first, and I heartily agree with that, as we talked about earlier. On the bad ideas side, like uh, Josh mentioned earlier, Gunter suggests an issue with a Spider-Man Jr. in it. I think that's an absolute terrible idea, but we do get the funny reply about let Pete get married first. And, hey, Stan, Stan was going for it then. Yeah. And last thing is, in the announcements, I love how it says for next issue, when they're talking about Spider-Man being unmasked, they add, no. It's not an imaginary tale or a dream episode. It happens. And I didn't understand only until like the last year or so just how much DC was doing imaginary stories and dream stories at this time. And lots of Lois Lane story. It would say, not a dream, not an imaginary tale. There's actually an issue of like Lois Lane where you see Superman and Lois getting married and then them having super kids and it says, not a dream, not an imaginary tale. The bride and the groom are not robots. <laughs> and then like Lois well, Lane yeah, not they're... sleep and then it turns out that it's just their candor doubles. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, well I mean well, that, what, that what kind of thing happened. There were so many imaginary stories. That that was like the version of um what DC eventually did with Elseworlds or how Marvel has the What if. Yeah, the the, the what if. I there are some really good Marvel what if stories and it, it's usually helpful to have read the original when it's a take on that. But there there were a lot of what if stories that were just completely original off the cuff. And but but DC had the these imaginary tales and there were some pretty good ones i i remember i reviewed one for the superman homepage. it was superman i want to say like 204 or 203 or something where it's uh lois lane has died but their their child laney yes laney lane oh wow is, uh, yeah and she gets sucked into another dimension and superman has to go and find her because she's wandering around the fortress of solitude and like finds it I, it might have been the phantom zone i don't remember but but i have the review on the superman homepage if anyone wants to check that out well, the whole classic Death of Superman story was a big imaginary story, but it was completely amazing in a Silver Age way. The super wedding is real. The marriage is not a hoax. The bride and groom are not robots. This romance is not a dream of Lois Lane or Superman. A great three-part novel, The Super Family of Steel. It was their Candor doubles. Spoiler alert. That was such a ripoff. And while Donovan's feeling ripped off about wackiness from DC Silver Age Superman stories, we're going to wrap up this episode right here. Please remember to check out Jeffrey Taylor's podcast, which he co-hosts, entitled From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast located at fortressofbailytude.com or at the supermanhomepage.com, where he also does reviews of the Superman the Animated Series episodes. Next week, we will be returning with the same cast and crew for the wrap-up of the May episodes of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. We'll be covering issue 12, which wraps up the Betty Brant Dr. Octopus extravaganza with more tentacle fun, if you can stand it. And then Mysterio will be returning to plague our web-headed superhero. Feel free to contact the show. Our email address is AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com where you can write in and let us know what you think of what we're doing, what you'd like more of, what you'd like less of, and if you like me or don't like me or secretly have a crush on me, that's, that's perfectly fine to say too. 
You can also follow us on Facebook. I do try to keep the group updated there. Just search Amazing Spider-Man Classics on Facebook.com. There is the main show hosting page at AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com where I'll post pictures, random comments, and other interesting things of note. Also on that page, you can find the beginnings of my X-Men blog that I'm starting up. Hopefully by the time this goes live, I will have the first issues posting done and live and ready to be read. And I do believe that's all for today. Please come check us out next week. And thank you for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Good night. watching Rocky 3 right now. As we do the podcast? Well, no. <laughs> when you've been podcasting as long as Jeffrey, you, you you can like multitask. You can do this while you're, you know, writing the thesis and <laughs> watching Lost. And I just won a game of Minesweeper. Look at that. Was it expert? <laughs> of course. Why would you play it any other way? <laughs> so okay. So, Donovan, uh, I think you're doing a synopsis. Sorry. Yeah, I think I was in. <laughs> it's my fault. Uh, not a good. Um, 